0: What's going on, everybody? This is Jerome Moore, host and creator of Deep Disc Conversations. And firstly, I want to say thank you for all of this support and thank you for exploring the perspectives of social change with me on this platform. I want to encourage you all to like, subscribe, and follow us on YouTube and on your favorite podcast listening platform. And make sure you give us a five star rating if you're loving the Deep Disc Conversations. I appreciate all of the support again. I hope you all enjoy this episode. All right, here we go. Raheem, welcome back,
1: man. Man, thanks for having me back. It's a pleasure. It's an honor. I really greatly appreciate you, you know, being here. I mean. Nah, man, I
0: appreciate you and I appreciate your realness, your bluntness, your straightforwardness. Um, and if people, if y'all didn't see Raheem on season one of D. This Conversation, the season, check him out on YouTube. It's impactful, it's powerful. Um, you can go hear more about his personal story. Um, We'll we'll touch on it a little bit Mm -hmm. just to give people updates. Mm -hmm. So people who may not know Mm -hmm. But we ain't got to dive in as deep as we did before Mm -hmm. But uh, just give us a little introduction of who you are What you do, your background
1: a little bit like that Quick introduction Born and raised in Nashville Um, Single parent mother Lots of siblings Trouble early on in my life Found myself in juvenile in 88 89, charged with felony murder Caged for 26 years of my life at uh, seven different prisons all across the state of Tennessee. Educated myself on the inside. Became a well-found voice. Paroled after three hearings. And that was in 2015. Been an organizer. I actually was trained on the inside to organize. Um, and I joined the and Defense Fund Nashville team, uh, 2016. Incorporated, founded my own organization, Unheard Voices Outreach. Became the National Community Bell Fund Manager 2018. 2021, June, took the helm of Unheard Voices full-time. Executive Director, uh, author of um, Save Your Own Life, Choosing the Right Path is Not Always Clear. Um, social Justice Advocate, Organizer. Um thought, thinker, leader, um, human being?
0: That's it. <laughs> that's that's Raheem. Look, we're going to get straight into Raheem. Yeah. All right, when Raheem, look, I reached out to Raheem and said, hey, Raheem, I got to bring you back because um, you the work that you do is just too important, and I don't think people are just updated. You can never be too updated, I think, on what's going on uh, when it comes to felonism. Right. When it comes to like legislation and what's happening right. um, with these judges, magistrates, right. and Raheem was like, "Look, I gotta be the bad guy. If right. that's that, if that's what it has to be, yeah. I have to be that. I do. And um, and that's okay because one, this is a brave space. Two, mm-hmm. this is an educational mm-hmm. space, and not only to hold ourselves accountable, but to hold other people accountable um, that may be feeling that they're they're mm-hmm. that they're helping community and may be perpetuate harm right um and so it's here we are here we are and so Raheem I'm a, I had this quote man yeah and like I told people uh, Raheem was on season one and I had to go back and and and, and just listen because he dropped so many gems but but this is one of the things that they really stuck out to me um, and it was kind of purpose about you know um, why Raheem is doing what he's doing and he was like I'm pushing back on the system because if you can send me to prison and I got to do my time, and I got to be held accountable, why not you?
1: Right. And so um, who has to be held accountable now, Raheem? Wow. That's deep. That's deep because, you know, it, it really depends on the context. But as it relates to the criminal legal system, when you think about harms that are happening in our community, one of the main things that we can all see is that there's police violence. Right. And what we have uh, observed is that whenever those who have been given authority, uh, basically to, you know, tote weapons and use the force of law as a weapon, and when, you know, someone's life is taken in the course of what is seen as, you know, a police uh, discharging his or her duty, the consequences to that behavior when it's obvious it's in in recorded it's seen execution style murders and, and murder we, we need to understand what that means simply put there's something called men is um there's in this act is rare and whether i'm pronouncing it correctly or not the point is is that you can have a guilty mind mm-hmm. and you can have what is called guilty act and that's the physical activity now if my mind is You know, I'm not intending to do harm or kill someone, but I do. It doesn't mean that just because I didn't intend to do it, that I shouldn't be held accountable for the simple fact that, like, in my particular situation, I mean, just keeping it real and transparent, you know, I was trying to do a robbery. I shot a gun into the floor, the bullet ricocheted and it hit someone, that person died. It didn't matter that I had no intention to kill. The fact that, you know, I committed that act and the way the law was laid out, I had to go to prison, you know, basically for over a quarter of a century. And when you see what's happening in the system today, when someone can be charged with you know, a crime and it looks politically like, oh, wow, finally, and then they get indicted, and then the same person who is in power, um, a district attorney can take and go behind the scenes, and then a deal can be made um, outside of the reach of the family, and someone can get a slap on the wrist for what, if you look at it, you know, action for action, harm for harm, Ten times worse than what I did, and then get a slap on the wrist. All and then, right. so, when I talk about accountability, I'm just not talking about uh, a district attorney here. I'm also talking about a judge. I'm talking about African American judge who had the authority to reject this this plea. And a lot of people don't understand what's happening within the criminal legal system. They think that just because a district attorney offers something and presents it to a court, and that the defense is in agreement with it, that the judge is uh, here in Nashville, particularly on the felony uh, charges, uh, have to agree with it, and they don't. All right. And so when I'm talking about accountability, I'm talking about when we elect people into positions of power and they choose to ignore you know, the, the cries and the pleas of the people who vote them in office, or if they choose to ignore those who are harmed the most, um, something has to be done. And when leaders who are not elected but yet see the same things as I see and they won't speak out, Somebody has to speak out, so, you know, if that makes me the bad guy, then fine. But one thing you're going to see about Raheem is is that, you know, I've been held accountable. If I find myself to be wrong, I'm going to come back officially and make a statement about that. But I'm also willing to debate those who would disagree with what I have to say. Because one of the things that I believe when you're in a democracy is that you have to have civil debate. You have to have a way in which reasonable minds can come to the table and come to a conclusion that is fair and just and right, and we don't have that right now in Nashville.
0: One thing that that I don't know we we've spoken about and being on calls and stuff about it is not fair and right is is bail, right? Um, You know, down in Chattanooga they pretty much said, you know, hey what they're doing with bail is unconstitutional, mm-hmm. right? And pretty much is unconstitutional over the whole state, mm-hmm. pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, Where are we with bail in in Nashville and Davidson County um, in trying to make it more constitutional? Um, is there a system in place, or are they trying to do better jobs to where me and you can have drastically different bail amounts, you know, um, For the same crime, (laughs) with the same type of criminal background.
1: So honestly, I can't say what's happening behind the scenes because it's not being um, presented to the people in a public forum. Okay. We don't know. My opinion is, is that nothing is happening. And the reason I have this opinion is because when I was working for the Nashville Community Bail Fund for those number of years and I observed what was happening... And I um, discovered how the imbalance of bail amounts came about. The same processes are in place. You have a magistrate, mm-hmm. or um, you have a commissioner. You get charged with an offense by a police officer. They take you before this person, and this person is supposed to look at certain um, criteria. There's some TCA statutes that say, you know, look at this, look at this, look at this, and then. It's really no measure for, like, how much the bail amount should be. Right. And then just out of nowhere, they just decide what a bail amount would be. And the problem with a bail amount, which is more or less a ransom, is that you're saying that this human being's life has to be exchanged for this amount of money because you say so. Not because the law says so. Because no law said so. Just because you say so. Not only that, but you're an unelected official. So these magistrates and commissioners are unelected people who are doing the bidding, basically, of General Sessions judges who are elected, and they appoint these individuals to make these decisions. And when even when they make the wrong decision, it's on the next level, like a General Sessions judge, if it's like a misdemeanor offense, they have to correct that, or they don't have to correct that. And so what we see within the system, there are certain judges who, if an attorney files a motion to reduce a bail, he may, and I'm saying because it's a he, may uh, increase that bail amount. So we have defense attorneys who may be public defenders, meaning they work for Metro under uh, the elected public defender, Chief uh, Martisa Johnson, or they may be appointed because they are private practicing defense attorneys and the judge will appoint them to a particular case. And so that's a whole nother situation because when there is a one thousand dollar cap on cases, and let's say you you're you know you're being paid at a rate of fifty dollars an hour, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We're looking at what twenty hours, right? And you're done, right? You can't possibly be done in twenty hours, you know, when you look at how long sometimes it takes for a case to be resolved within. The Nashville system, right? Right. And so this is the reason why I say nothing is really being done because we're still seeing some of the same problems. And the only way that these problems are going to be solved is the General Sessions judges, in terms of uh, the commissioners and magistrates, are going to have to say, "Okay, look, if we're going to set bail for any crime, any offense. Now, I want to say crime, any offense, because." The idea of a crime, some people think it means guilty. These are offenses. No one has been found guilty. There is a process. They're going to have to decide that this is what it's going to be. There can't be what is called, um, for this person, it's going to be $100. For that person, it's not going to be anything. And for this person, it's going to be $1,000. It has to be one way across the board if it's going to be even fair. And some people don't even think money should be involved in the equation. Now that's another conversation because personally, I do not believe personally that if this person has been charged with offense and he has the ability or she has the ability to pay a bail and it happens to be money bail and it happens to be a bonding company that they should not be given that opportunity because no one needs to sit in the jail alone than, than you know because right just to be arrested could traumatize you for the for the rest of your life and so. Um, I don't think anything is being done and, and I don't think that the judges are even really listening to the people because they don't think that the people who are crying out really they have to answer to because they don't think that's who that constituency is. They don't think mm-hmm. that's who's gonna be voting for them. And that's why coming, you know, here in twenty twenty two, we're gonna, gonna be everybody is up, you know. And so, you know, it's like who has the courageousness to say, I wanna challenge you for your position because I believe that I can do a better job. And unfortunately, a lot of these judges that are in place who I may have some concerns about are not gonna be challenged because what I've learned just being, you know, working around in this system, there is this culture where if if, if you challenge somebody in a particular type of position and you lose, there is there is there are ramifications. Um, there's retaliation, there's consequences. And, and this even happens within um, the public defender culture where this person who is a public defender might be a really top-notch attorney. But going at, you know, a case really hard and strong, the judge might have an issue with you. You saw how strong and powerful a DA could be. We have a DA that removed a mayor from office.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Man, we have to understand what's going on. Right, And so... If I upset this judge and I have to be in his courtroom or her courtroom often and they didn't like that I filed a couple of bail reduction motions. They didn't like the fact that I filed motion to suppress evidence. They didn't like the fact that, you know, I was filing, you know, challenges to various processes that I felt were wrong. And so, you know, what attorneys... Public defenders and private practicing indigent defense attorneys is what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about paid attorneys. They're they're handcuffed. Right. Because they have to decide, like, am I going to practice law or am I going to feed myself? Mm -hmm. And that's why I said, you know, when I'm talking about being a bad guy, because I got to get... We have to get into the truth of why, and and this is my opinion. Like I said, I'm willing to debate anybody who has an issue with what I have to say because they won't win. Right. Because I happen to understand that if... You are an um, indigent defense attorney, and your livelihood is based on how many cases you get. I'm a judge, and I'm, I'm handing you 10, 20, 30 cases a year or six months, and it's $1,000 a pop. I have a vested interest as a judge in putting people in my courtroom who can keep the situation fluid right. so I can maintain my docket. And so if you can kind of like microwave people through my courtroom, right, because if I'm going to trial every two or three days, I don't have, you know, the time to handle all these guilty pleas over here. So like just 15% of the people decide to go um, to trial, you know, it'll, it'll basically shut down the system here in, tennis, in Nashville and probably across the United States of America. Wow. Because more than 85% of people who are charged with offenses who end up with guilt, Guilty verdicts, whether they pled guilty or, or it's basically pleading guilty. I mean, they're pleading guilty, right? And 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 they're saying that plea bargains. But even when the plea bargain system is, in my opinion, um, abused, meaning mm-hmm. you charge me with the highest level of an offense, even though the facts in the report from the police officer says that it's less than that. You charge me with the highest offense, you know you can get this grand jury to come back with a true bill. And so now you got this bargaining chip over my life because like in my mind I'm knowing what happened, but then I'm thinking like, wow, the system isn't fair. And even though I may not be guilty of this highest offense, the likelihood of me being found guilty if I go to trial is high. So I'm going to plead out even though I don't really feel what I feel, right? Right. And so I'm going to plead out. and so. I'm helping to perpetuate the system even though I'm feeling powerless because I don't even trust the person that's representing me because they're not even representing me. And perfect example is um, here recently, through you know, Unheard Voices has a Watchers project. All right. And this is on paroles with viewing and supporting, but we also uh, post convictions with people who are in prison.
0: Are they still doing the... Um, are they? Are they- are y'all able to go in person now? We, we still? yeah,
1: we we okay. do go in. Some judges let us in, some judges don't let us in, which is why we had to create Nashville Community Court Watch. Right. Because we had to expand the amount of people that were willing to come in, mask up and be a part of putting eyes on the system. And with COVID, the uh, Supreme Court of Tennessee has given judges a cover to give them, you know, this um discretion to decide how many people, you know, maybe they could have in their courtrooms, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, this particular situation is here we are. We're watching this case. This is the same judge, Judge Watkins, um, and this is my guy. So I'm gonna speak on it because he don't mind. Uh, um, his name was Elvin Pearson, and he's on post conviction. His attorney, Flatfoot on the record, said she refused to answer, ask the questions that he wanted to ask to the district attorney who represented him in his initial prosecution case that would have brought to light certain things that um, Elvin felt needed to be on the record. Mm. She told the judge, look, I'm not going to do this. And then the judge is going to say on the record, and you can go find this for yourself because Raheem ain't going to tell no lies because I my integrity is all I got because I went to the social death of life. Prison came back and I'm just trying to build myself back up and be somebody that's as a credible messenger, but man, this attorney just decided she wasn't going to do this. And, um, she didn't. And the judge kind of like told her, well, you know, you're an attorney. And so it's, it's pretty much what you say. And so what you have in indigent defense here in Nashville, I'm pretty, I'm just saying here in Nashville is that indigent persons are not even in control of how they're represented, which is why we need client centered representation. And we don't have that, whether it's Metro public defenders or whether we have, um, uh, indigent defense attorneys, because if my livelihood again is, and I'm just talking about indigent defense attorneys, is resting upon me getting cases by cases by cases, then you know I gotta kind of dance in this culture. Right. And just one last caveat. That's no, not a caveat, but one last ex- explosion. So we have this attorney who uh, is practicing here in Nashville. He's on the record. He's on YouTube calling a black man um, the N word. What? Yeah, and you can look it up. We can look it up after this if you want to. Man, this dude is responsible for, he's like number one or two or three in cases in terms of being appointments. He's a private practicing person, right? a defense attorney. He's getting more cases than, than, than a lot of people, but a lots of complaints. And so when racist individuals are able to feed their families off of your tax dollars and not for my tax dollars because a judge is appointing that person to criminal cases. Right. And he's basically pleading people out for the most part. If you pull the records on these guys and you see they're not even going to trial, are you telling me you you get to benefit from these guilty pleas? You get to put money in your pocket. You get to make $100,000 a year and you're just pleading people out? Right. You're not filing, you know, motions, you're not challenging the system. You're not in a dual aspect of what, you know, the origins of what attorneys really lawyers was really all about. It was like this face off. It's like a fight. And so, you know, when I say being a bag, I, somebody had to say what needs to be said. There's the truth that can be bagged up. That mm-hmm. any reporter can go and look and find that what I'm saying is true. Because I was there and I seen it for myself. I looked it up for myself and um Man, it's, it's, it's how,
0: bad. How are things like this going unheard of?
1: Uh, because people like me in um, the legacy media or the um, traditional media, they don't want us to know. Hmm. Because for us to know, they can't use crime is rising as if it leads, it bleeds on the news station so that they can keep people in this uproar of you got to stay and focus over here right? and um, the people who could expose it they can't because they taking an oath
0: right. all
1: members of the bar whether they're prosecutors or defense attorneys or judges they're in this like a fraternity system so they and they took an oath so mm-hmm. you know when you go and you try to challenge this system you know you have these judges putting gag orders on attorneys yeah you have these judges filing complaints to the Board of Professional Responsibility and they're doing this because they're being exposed. you got people of color, poor white people, hidden in these jails with these um, indigent defense attorneys who won't even file motions for them. And then, I mean, complaints being alleged against these attorneys, nobody is knowing because they're sealing these records. Right. And I'm telling you, this is what I know. Right, and so I feel like if, if if I have to say it because if they won't say it, Raheem has to because, again, bro, I, they they gave me a life in twenty year sentence, and and I didn't try to do that, man. And then this dude try to kill you know my brother, but he killed my sister. He get six years. Police go do this thing. He get what three six years. I mean slap. I mean come on, man. I I'm like, how how can I feel okay with that? Right. When I had to face death a couple of times after what I had done, because of what happens in the prison system and the violence within the, the physical violence, that's 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 not even counting, you know, the um, the violence of the policies and the racist actions from various places within the criminal legal system. And so, yeah, I just I feel like I have to be the person. Who else is going to be? Right. And you know, and I and when I know I'm speaking facts. Right. See, I'm not talking about truth. You can, you, can, you can argue with truth, right. because is it your truth, his truth, or somebody else's truth? You can't argue with facts, because facts are based upon evidence that we all can observe. Right, it. Exactly.
0: Man, and so, <laughs> and so being the bad guy, and I, I wouldn't even say you're the bad guy, to be honest. Just being, being the guy that's presenting the, the facts um, to the community, how does the other side look at you? How's has the response been to that? Well. Because I think it's needed. I, you know. And everybody's. Yeah. Nobody's above being held accountable, especially if it's facts mm-hmm. to prove it. Mm-hmm. And like you said, hey, mm-hmm. come, come debate. Come, let's, let's have a conversation about it. If you feel what I'm saying mm-hmm. and what I'm presenting is not factual. If you have alternative facts, mm-hmm. present
1: them. Yeah. yeah. So. I don't think they see me or hear me in a way, because like I said, it's only when we get opportunities like this to speak. Right. And I think, you know, there are like three or four judges that I, I, I would say I can respect in terms of, because I've had at least a conversation with them. Mm-hmm. Um, the prosecution, I really don't know because I don't encounter them much. The ones that I did, they no longer work for the prosecution, so I don't know. And I'm not saying it has anything to do with me, but you know, you can't live a lie and say you have integrity. Mm. You can't say that you believe in justice and Mm. somebody's crying out for it and you won't even, you know, transport their voice out of the jail into somebody's, you know, space that can, you know, amplify that voice. I don't really know what they think because. The prosecution, I don't know if they're really, I don't even know if that's where the problems lie. I I think the problems lie with those who are in power positions, who are elected officials, and they see things that are wrong, and they choose not to do anything about it. And whatever they choose to do, a lot of it looks like show, but there's really no real action. Because the thing about the criminal legal system is, is that you can know who's who just by... Um, because it's public records. You can find out who's filing motions. Mm-hmm. You can find out who's filed, you know, whether it's on bail or other things. Everything is is available for the public to see. And you can see which judges are appointing certain attorneys. I mean, there is a list, and I can provide this list to you uh, after, at some point, of who all the um, indigent defense attorneys are, how many cases they're getting, and, you know what are some of the outcomes you can kind of look for yourself in these particular um, cases. So, right now, I'm going to just go on the record and say that the criminal legal system is a business. And the business that the criminal legal system is, it's commodity, it's commodity as human beings. Mm-hmm. And we this system needs people to be charged with offenses. To justify its budget, whether you know it's the court's budget, whether it's you know uh, the jail budget, whether it's the uh, Tennessee Department of Corrections budget, it has to have bodies. Right. And when you understand that without these bodies, these systems can't justify their budgets. We have to think about alternatives to how you know we approach harm within our uh, society. And I think that part of the problem is ignorance in the sense that people lack knowledge that people that the people who vote who pay taxes they really have a right to establish the policies that they want that to cause less harm to police less to to put more um in revenue or uh resources into prevention um so yeah.
0: how how so how does that happen because at the council level you know they're there's many organizations. There's many different bodies of the community that says, "Hey, we want to take these funds out of the police department or out of this particular area of public safety and put it over here, mm-hmm. right? Still keep it in public safety, but we everything mm-hmm. doesn't have to involve, in this case, the police, right? Right? Or let's put some funds right. over here, right? And we see time and time again mm-hmm. that you know our, our council um, decides not to put the money in right. other areas that could benefit the community, you know, what different bodies of the community mm-hmm. say that they want. Mm-hmm. And so how does that happen? How can we get these decision makers, um, these policymakers to to listen mm-hmm. to what we want as a yeah. community, um, to different alternatives that are yeah. that are currently happening.
1: Yeah. And so that's when what, you know, I think I was trained to do that, you know, and I hope I can get better at it is that That needs to be more organizing around bringing to light these decisions that these council members are making because in the communities where I frequent the most, they're not paying attention to council members and their votes because people are so distracted with, you know, I got to pay my bills. I'm a parent. I'm a single parent mother. I don't know, you know, how I'm going to, you know, make ends meet. I'm not watching Channel 8 or whatever channel that these hearings are, you know, being displayed. And then, like... While it may affect me, because I don't really know about it, I'm not thinking about it, you know, right. and if, so that means that there has to be more boots on the ground. And in order to put boots on the ground, you have to have resources. Because what I've learned, like, even with Unheard Voices Outreach, <laughs> a very underfunded organization, because... Some in the community don't think the work that, you know, we're doing is valuable work because there's a lot of people, even in the African-American community, the black American community, who believe that certain people need to be in prison.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and that's indicative of the apathy that you see when so many young black males are in West Tennessee, Hardiman County, um, Northwest, and Whiteville, and so much harm, so much savagery. Is occurring within these private prisons. And, you know, we turn a blind eye to that. But these are the children of, you know, a failed society. And we want to just kind of look at the person, the individual who is an unheard voice without really looking at their humanity. Like, how did the young person grow up? Did he or she have parents? Did he or she have educational opportunities that unlock his or her genius, inspire that? And were they inspired to live, and they weren't, because we have an educational system that is so, you know, uh, 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 archaic and ineffective that people like myself, who I thought I was dumb making these and else, but in reality, the system didn't know how to educate me, didn't know how to inspire me for learning, and the metrics that they use, which are the metrics that you evaluate whether or not. You know, someone is educated by how much they can uh, memorize. Uh, can you quote uh, the preamble or, you know, test can you general, remember, you know, yeah. multiple choice and things. But you don't challenge my mind. I had a mind that had analytical ability that if you, you stimulated it, I could give you something. Even if I didn't have the language, if you helped me with the language, I could find that. And this system is still the same as when I was going to school, as it is, then it's, you know, STEM came about. But it, it's not helping the people that need help the most. And so these young men and women who are uh, in our communities making bad choices because they don't have the guidance that they really truly need, and there is no real advocate bringing an apologia mm-hmm. for their actions.
0: Yeah, it's unfortunate you know? that the system doesn't take none of that into account. None. Right. Like, at all. None of that into account. Just like um, when I posed this question to another guest we had, Denzel, he does a lot of stuff with self-defense um, and, you know, guns, gun laws, policies, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And the law doesn't take in account. We talk about always, when we talk about the like, this criminal legal system, um, of the trauma that we've faced or seen or been through personally right. with police, right? right? And so if police can have... Yeah. Trauma, or if they can feel scared when they see me and you mm-hmm. and feel like they need to defend themselves and make mm-hmm. it back home to their family, how come mm-hmm. I can't feel the same way? Right. And so the system doesn't take our, our trauma into into questioning, right. like, well, I feel like that police is going to take my life and going to take me unjustly away from my family, so I took his instead. But
1: they, they won't look at it that way. Right. And, and you know, when you, and that's so true. And so that's why education about the system has to come from those who've been through it in um, collaboration with those who are fighting in it. And when you see something like that, you have to understand that the laws that are governing Tennessee are created within Tennessee's legislature. And within Tennessee's legislature, whether you know you have representatives and you have senators, the, the sad reality right now is, is that, you know, African-Americans look to Democrats you know, to do that bidding. In Tennessee, Democrats have absolutely no power in terms of the legislature. Right. Um, Republicans, uh, ultra-conservative Republicans, I would say, are running, you know, Tennessee's legislature. And so when you have no representation, you're not going to see policies that reflect, you know, your wishes and your desires. And so legislatures have the ability to handcuff police if they want to, but when you live in a country that promotes so-called law and order, we have to understand that mass incarceration was created by Democrats, Bill Clinton, Joe Biden. You know, and I don't know why they elected that guy. You know, mm-hmm. oldest. I mean, I'm not gonna get personal with this, but I'll say this: We're still recovering. We're not. We we're trying to recover from what Bill Clinton did by offering you know, cash, money, incentives to lock up more people, to create more laws, and as a result, you know, I'm just going into something, like some work that I'm doing, I'm partnering with No Exceptions Prison Collective, No Exceptions Jeannie Alexander, Theodore Murphy, and um, we made it out of the the represent the, the Senate to change 51-year life sentences back to 25 years, right? Right. we're running into the biggest opposition that you can imagine There's was this uh, individual in the legislature um, the leader Lambrick that like everybody is so afraid of you know going against something that he wants he's a, a former prosecutor they look to him to give insights around you know criminal legal issues and unfortunately you know he doesn't want to give, people an opportunity to live again after they mess up even though we live in a country that says it believes in second chances we live in a country where you know everybody here other than the indigenous people are immigrants coming you know second chances now african americans were the only people who 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 did not come here on our own volition and choice and so that's a different dynamic right and I, and, I, and that's a whole another conversation right. but um so, when you look at who's making these policies and who's making these laws and, and why, you know, people like you, like, stand your ground doesn't apply to you and me, right? And right. I, I can't legally carry a gun right? because I've been disarmed. And that's one of the reasons why these felony um, convictions are disarming the, 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 the black community, poor white community, you know? And it's, 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 it's a certain level of design there because now if you do it, I can put you back in prison because you can't do it because, you know, and the same goes with, um, you know, taking away uh, voting rights. Right. That, you know, my state is telling me, state in which I was born and raised is telling me that, you know, I can't vote for the rest of my life. Right. But I didn't storm the Capitol. I didn't commit treason. Mm-hmm. I didn't commit sedition. Right. You know, but because of the situation, I was finding myself my third attorney and I'm taking this time. No one ever said that, you know, in addition to this life and 20-year sentence, you uh, are giving up parts of your uh, citizenship. Right. And you, um, you know, because back in the day, the three-fifths of a man um, law or practice was about white slave owners having who you know, were considered property, like three-fifths of a man, and you put so many of them together, they had more voting power, right, right? right? And one thing about a democracy, and the easiest way to undermine a democracy, is to undermine the vote. Right. And when I can decide through the stroke of a pen, I can erase somebody's citizenship just because I believe. Well, it's not that you believe, because people in prison used to vote. Mm-hmm. Like, in the 80s and, uh, yeah it's early so, 80s so it's
0: not it's, it, it's a new it's a new it thing is again. a new thing it's and this new
1: thing. thing just to give some context is, is that because these politicians didn't want to go to prisons and ask for votes these politicians uh, didn't like the idea that there were bo- voting blocks in communities where they had a lot of prisons right mm-hmm. And so to change the rules, in advantage a certain group of people, you just take away the voting. But my belief, having been born in this country, is that the only way that you can take and should take, if ever, and you should, if, if, if a person forfeits their uh, citizenship or commits treason, other than that, no one should ever lose his or her voting rights. Uh, people in Israel never lose their voting rights. In fact, the uh, individual that assassinated the prime minister, uh, uh, Rabin, Rabin, he voted in prison. Mm. They vote in, in Maine. Um, they vote in. Um, that was another one. And now in Illinois, the day you walk out of prison, you vote in. It doesn't really matter, you know, what particular offense, but. This is why education is so important, and this is why organizations like mine that are underfunded, why we can't get out and push the message that we need to push, that is a factual message, not made up. See, we're not using hype, hype, hyperbole, and hype right. to tell you. I'm telling you, or just facts. feelings, <laughs> yeah. or just feelings. I'm yeah. telling you facts that we can't vote because the people in power say that we can't vote, not because necessarily the people on the ground agree with it. Right? Because they get a narrative, if at all, you know, from those who they vote from and says, we got to be tough, they shouldn't be doing this. You think that I shouldn't vote because I got convicted of a felony, but that's not the reason why. Right? That just happened recently. And so there's a lot of things happening within the criminal legal conversation and, and actions that people like me—if we're not speaking on it, right—it's probably just hype. Mm. It's not even real. And mm. so, if you put it like this, if all of the people, if all of the life forms in the jungle could tell the story about what has happened over the course of time, what would the narrative be? It certainly wouldn't be what. You know, we tell ourselves about what's happening here on this planet. Right. And the same thing goes the victor gets to tell the story. Right. And so, you know, I'm a survivor of the prison industrial complex. I'm also considered someone who, you know, a victim in the sense that my sister was murdered. And so you have those who are using, are weaponizing victimization and helping to create policies and who are prim- prim- primarily white. Female voices influencing law in Tennessee legislature, while the majority of those who are actually murdered are coming out Shelby County, Davidson County. But you have these voices of people who haven't even had a family member killed. They just advocates. They getting jobs, and their voices are louder than those of us who actually have experienced it. And for myself, I experienced it on both sides. Right. And so, when people can make policies who really don't have direct experience, I mean, it's going to always be unfair. Right. And that's due to the lack of resources, like organizations like the Unheard Voices
0: can't get. And can't... They don't have a machine.
1: Don't have a machine. Aren't very popular. And um, because, you know, our work is basically about liberation, because when you help somebody's been in prison for 10 20 25 years get out of prison whether it's Cyrus Wilson mm-hmm. you know whether it's Don Clemens those are most popular people that you know unheard voices built some teams around you know choosing justice um, we had people like Davey Tucker uh, American Baptist College um, no exceptions Vanderbilt prison project you know we're coming together we're actually collaborating to get individuals out of cages right. and that work isn't seen as, um, you know, valuable work. And, you know, I want to speak on the record about, you know, we we put so much money into bail, you know, like donating, like, you know, and, and, and something I had to say to the people, you know, is that like it's, 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 it's a million times harder to get somebody out of prison than it is to get someone out on bail. And my analysis is is that some of us believe that as long as you don't get the guilty verdict, I feel comfortable donating to this cause like it's bail because, you know, at least you're not guilty yet. Right. But the moment they ascribe guilt to you. People throw you away. And like you never existed. Mm. And then you come to ask and they say, well, you know, I I really want to, you know, help with the kids. And they used to be kids. Right. I know you, you, you have bought into this false narrative that because this person is 18, 19, 20 and whatever, that somehow their childhood doesn't count anymore. Right. And yet, if you with wealth get arrested, the first thing outside of bail is you're getting a psychological evaluation. They're going to make sure that your mindset and the things that happened to you as a child are going to be made a part of the record. And as you said some of those things don't even matter the traumas and things like that. how can it matter if um, 85 plus percent of those who represent you know these individuals charged with offenses plead them out they don't have a trial so certain things never are ever going to be on the record right and justice is not defined by the facts and the truth of or the facts of you know like what actually happened. Justice in the judicial system in Nashville is determined by the process well, did you get your rights read? Yeah. Okay. Did you get a preliminary hearing? Yeah. Okay. Does um, your attorney, you know, file motion of uh, discovery for you? And the processes is how they define justice. It absolutely has nothing to do with delving into the causation of why a person made a bad choice.
0: So, what is justice to you then? What does that mean? Because I know justice dynamic, and I think. Um, we all, we all say sometimes we want justice, but justice can mean different things, to different people. Right. And so asking you, Raheem, what does justice mean to you?
1: So in this moment, because I think justice is a fluid right. thing, but in this moment, justice is, in the context of the criminal legal system is what I'm talking about. Because also there's an economic justice that I'm not talking about in this moment, right. is that if you charge me with an offense and... I get arrested you afford me the same things as you would afford a person with wealth mm. because if you do that you will be able to see psychologically that at that time that if i did actually do it doesn't make me guilty because remember i told you about men is rare actors rare right. okay you can get and build my record before I even reach the point to where a judge is putting me in a situation to where I have to um, you know, pick a jury. Justice looks like if like this family that was harmed, if, let's say if it's someone harmed, mm-hmm. and they say, I don't want this to happen, right. it looks like the DA saying, okay, I heard this family here, and this family doesn't want this person going to prison for 20, 30, 40 years. Right. They want to work something out. And so we're bringing Rafa into the situation where we're talking about restorative justice and then we have these conference circles where healing circles we can even call them justice circles where community is involved in the process about what is the appropriate action here we're providing um, counseling to people who've been harmed because the system is having all of this money and, and giving them that space to where they can really come back to a place to where they can without emotion say okay this is how i feel about what happened and then justice is this choice you go through the traditional system
0: mm-hmm.
1: or you go through the community system so justice would uh, afford an opportunity for a choice right and so the choice would be a combination between people who've been harmed and and um those who caused the harm that's what justice would look like and then what this does is it takes this abstraction out, mm-hmm. which is called the state, which creates these laws. They don't have no regard for poor people. And then that force cannot be imposed upon you know poor people. Right. And so I think and that we have enough intelligence that we can work these things out and come to uh, decisions that everyone can be happy with. It didn't take 26 years for, for, for me to change and to transform. Right. You know, and um, with all due respect, you know, to the family that I harmed, you know, I can't change that. But the one thing that I can tell you that is true, that I fought to be a better human being from the moment that I woke up in 1989 after attempted suicide, in a prayer, in, in, in God, you know, asking, you know, like, hey, if, if, if you give me a chance to survive this thing, I'm gonna become out a better person. Mm-hmm. And I've been working towards that the whole time, not. Don't want to be perfect. I'll never be perfect, and I made mistakes and as recent as, as this year, but right. I'm still on the path. All right.
0: Well, Raheem, look, I don't know. We can keep going. We yeah. can keep going. Yeah. But I want to bring you back, especially going into next year with the judges. 2022 yeah. coming up and all the general sessions and yeah. the DA, everybody's mm-hmm. up. And so I want to bring you back, but I also want to Definitely. plug – Um. um unheard voices and people donate donate yeah. donate resources to Raheem so he could you know combat felonism right um and I appreciate you man and I, <laughs> I can't wait for this to come out man yeah and I just thank you for your time yeah. and thank you for the work that you do yeah. and uh um, yeah. you know we're gonna be y'all gonna be seeing a lot more of Raheem yeah. trust me he gonna he gonna he go yeah. he gonna be the the, the heard voice yeah. for unheard voices <laughs> Yeah. Uh, on a deep yeah. conversation platform. So yeah. I appreciate you, man. I love you, man. Uh, thank you. And, and just yeah. thank
1: you for who, the human being yeah. that you are and yeah. that, you're, that you're growing and learning mm-hmm. to become people right. better every day. Well, I appreciate the opportunity just, you know, to be in your space. And I see you growing as a leader, a thought leader, an action leader, an organizer, and, you know, putting this out there where the people uh, can make decisions and have a conversation. And, you know, I would hope that in the future you, you host a debate. Around some of these issues and bringing people together in the same space in in, in a talking piece format, whereas mm-hmm. one voice doesn't get to dominate, and then we lay it all out and then we see who's speaking, what's what. Right. But you know, in terms of support for the unheard voices outreach, you know, uh, you know, if they go to our site unheardvoicesoutreach.org, org, you can actually see the work that that we've been doing and. Um, you can Google my name, Raheem Buford, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram, Unheard Voices is on Facebook, it's on Instagram, we're on Twitter. You can see the consistency of the work that we're doing, and while it may not be popular work in this moment, we're not limited to just what, you know, we have presented. It's just to have the the opportunity to come to um, the community and, and provide um a certain message that is different than what you're going to hear coming from other organizers. And I respect all grassroots organizers, you know, but what I don't respect is when they give passes to their friends who are elected officials and when they give passes to people who are in positions of power who um, have caused harm and they won't call that out. I, I I don't respect that. And while they may say, well, who are you? I'll say I'm you. It's just that I got caught. I did my time. And, you know, I'm coming back. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, you know, second chance born again for real, for real. Like what y'all really say y'all believe in, you know, whether, you know, I'm saying I can go a whole so many subjects. I'm gonna gonna shut that down, but it's so. You're gonna be
0: back. You're gonna be back. (laughs) Man, I
1: wanna know, and I want your audience to say what they really feel. Like, Mm -hmm. I really wanna know what they think. Yeah. You know, but thank you, nah. brother. I, I appreciate this. Nah, you know, nah. I greatly appreciate this. This nah. is an honor. I re- greatly respect what you're doing.
0: Nah, thank you, and I, and I, and I respect you, and we're going to see you soon, man. You all right.
1: All right. Good
0: work.